Swing these quick doors wide open, I tell you, and we want to hear what you have to say about it. You can send your feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. I don't know why I went all Western there at the end. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope you're up for a little bit of a different episode because G and I are a little bit out of our comfort zone for this particular episode. So uh, we're talking about classic vintage creature features from the Universal stack, so I hope you guys enjoy that. And as usual, we're going to be discussing spoilers for the movies, and we're going to have some coarse language, but come on, we're all grown-ups here, aren't we? Please tell your friends about Rank and Review. Uh, do check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Cop podcast, hosted by friend of the show... Jason Dubray, check out the Terror Table podcast, and check out Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast. There are other podcasts than Rank and Review, believe it or not. I mean, Rank and Review may be the best of them, but I mean, there are other ones to listen to. I hope you enjoy this episode of Rank and Review. I have Gareth in my basement, (laughs) and uh, it's been a while since you've been on Rankin Review, but (laughs) to be fair, you've been busy. It's true. You helped me make, well, you made this movie (laughs) with me, I don't even help me, you made this movie, Book of Trespasses, with me, and I just want to say, for the record on the podcast, how eternally grateful I will forever be for everything you did for me. Well. A dream came true, and it has a lot to do with you, so I'm sorry to suck your dick on the podcast like (laughs) this, but... Thank you for being here. Episode 14 yeah. was the last time you were here, and it's now episode 161. <laughs> we did it, though. <laughs> we did we it. got there. And we're going to talk about some classic mm. horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since we had a discussion. I, well, I think you picked it. Was there a reason I you did. wanted to do classic, you know, universal horror? Honestly, I, mean, I needed the history lesson. That's what I felt like. Uh, all these classic monsters that are so prevalent everywhere now. And I didn't know anything about the originals. Not a damn thing. And that seemed criminal. I can't really talk about movies now if I don't know where they came from. So. Well, and you made a horror movie. And uh, because of me being you know, in orbit of your life, I feel like I've slowly beat you down. Like, you didn't used to be a horror guy. And now you're doing your horror due diligence That's homework. Right. That's right. And I respect that. Well, 
I think you'll find it's it's tough to talk about some of these older movies, eh? Because of it is. Yeah. well, obviously they're not at all contemporary to us. <laughs> I think we go from the '30s to the late '50s. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was that's 20 years and change before I was on the planet, <laughs> and uh, they were still figuring a lot of filmmaking techniques out. And uh, yeah, which was special to watch. Actually, that was kind of nice. But I do find these old movies have this layer of separation. You, you do have to kind of meet them halfway. I used to not understand how anybody could find these movies frightening, to be honest. When I saw them at a younger age, they just seemed so over the top. And there's something obvious is the word that comes to mind mm-hmm. about it. Like, yeah, of course, that's what, that's what Dracula is supposed to look like. And that's what the Gill Man is supposed to look like. And there's this big orchestral score that's going to drown out everything. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of over-the-top uh, projected stage acting in a film environment. Oh, wow, yes. And uh, this sort of uneasy figuring things out. Mm-hmm. But do I think they deserve to be called classic movies? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I would hope so. <laughs> There's a reason that people still give a shit about these movies. It's absolutely. a reason that they're trying to reinvent them. They've been called the Marvel Cinematic Universe of their time, and, and that does kind of make sense. They each had their own sequel series, and they had crossover events. And they did. Abbott and Costello meet, meet the Wolfman, yes, etc., etc. It was, it was big business, and... As much as we might find it a little bit campy and, and snarky a little bit, or we, we interpret it that way, no, I think that for the most part, these were genuinely attempts to thrill the audience. Absolutely. Complete with a newsreel and a cartoon. <laughs> well, you needed a little bit of fun before you start, but uh, I think one of the other things that I noticed is just watching them figure out how to make movies throughout the progression of the ones that we've watched. It's remarkable what they learned in such a short amount of time and how a different uh, director's take, particularly in those early days, made such a massive difference as to how it was seen on screen. I think too often in the early days it was probably a director of stage actors that was behind the camera. And yeah. It's just a completely different medium and they learned that along the way, obviously. But uh, Well, and I, you see that in Dracula, the first movie we talk about, there are scenes that just feel like a filmed steady shot Absolutely. Of, a, of a play. Yes. And by the time we get to Creature of the Black Lagoon, we're into full-on cinema. Absolutely. Underwater photography in, and uh, just the amount of camera moves that they have, the number of cuts between uh, scenes, it's shocking how much different it is from uh, the first movie, Dracula. Yeah. It's just stunning to see, but also great to, to have learned about along yeah. the way. So, yeah, I'm not going to be able to fill in the background of trivia with a lot of the <laughs> supporting players and stuff like that that we're going to be talking about in these movies. Uh, I, I like to think I'm a little bit learned, at least about the modern era of horror and fantastic movies. Like, I know my shit, usually. <laughs> I think that's I think this episode, G and I are going to feel it out a little bit. And I think that's still going to be worthwhile for everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> But I'm just being honest. Uh, I'm not a scholar when it comes to move. You know, basically, most the further away you get from 1976 or before 1976, <laughs> the less I know about movies. So I, I tended to pay more attention to movies while I was alive. Well, shame on you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say by way of introduction before we start this thing? I just want to jump in. Okay. Well, the six classic Universal monster movies we're going to review are. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, The Wolf Man, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. 
Let's do it. Classic Monsters. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. Rats. Thousands. Millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dear? Tell he, me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms, and he made me drink. Dracula, 1931, directed by Todd Browning and one other, Carl Fiend, friend, uncredited co-director here, but there it is. Um, as I said, you know, before, with these movies, I can't really quote you chapter and verse on a lot of what they did next or where their career trajectory <laughs> were, because... A lot of these movies we're going to talk about were made 40 years before you and I were born. Exactly. <laughs> so it's interesting looking at Dracula in 2019 and, you know, uh, sort of trying to give it a fair shake. It's true. Um, the first big takeaways was, like, I'm continually gobsmacked with the sets. Indeed. In, yeah, no, they're in, beautiful. In, in, in a lot of these Universal Monsters, you're right in that they recycle a lot of them, but these huge two-story sets or these vast spaces that they put their actors in and them using it really well, I thought that really really worked for me. Dracula himself, Bela <laughs> Lugosi himself, didn't really work for me, and that seems like an important part of Dracula to work for me. But, I mean, I didn't mind watching. It's a 75 minutes. It's a pretty... It wasn't a bitter pill. I've had a lot harder watches for rank and review. But, um, yeah, it's pretty scare-free. And there's, I did more chortling than I did, you know... Of course. Appreciate it. And I think that's to be expected when you consider 1931. Yeah, exactly. So is, it, is that us just looking at it from that perspective? Or has just time been unkind? Well, I think it's just us from that perspective for sure. Uh, I think uh, as far as it, time being unkind, well, nothing's going to age well when it's 80 years old. Right. It's just not. Uh, it's not going to hold up to today's standards by any, any imagining. But 
and I, I can't disagree with you, Bela Lugosi was maybe not great, but he also didn't have a lot to work with. He was a suspense-based character. There was a lot of silence and a lot of just still shots of him being scary. Hitting beam of lights on his eyes. Absolutely, and Always loitering on that shot far too long. Putting but, people in their trances and whatnot. Exactly. Uh, but we did talk a lot about... Um, White Fry, who plays Renfield in <laughs> yes. this movie. He he's not that interesting for the first 15 or so minutes when he's sane, but mm. after the sequence on the boat, which was, again, a very impressive piece of production. It truly was. Um, when they find him in, in the hull of the boat, the, the lone survivor, <laughs> utterly mad. <laughs> he's gone quite <laughs> mad. And uh, all of the business with him being committed. Anytime he was on screen, I was enjoying myself. Like, I think... He easily gave the best performance of the movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But he had the most to do. Yeah. He, and maybe that's unfair to the rest of the cast, but they, they didn't have a lot to do. They were in pretty static situations for the most part. His character was allowed to <laughs> change so drastically and in such a fun way. I like that uh, maybe at the time it was quite off-putting to watch, but I admittedly just found it fun right. and funny to watch. It was great. It's interesting how like this was one of these pre-branded movies in a lot of ways. Nosferatu had been made, of course. There'd been other wax at it, but like they didn't have the rights to do actually Dracula. And as much as in this case they had the rights to do Dracula, and they had a product that you know had a built-in audience, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. uh, it was a you know uh, they had their hands tied because. Dracula's themes are sex and violence and they couldn't implicitly address sure, either. the yeah. sex and the violence. Precisely. So like I guess I would say it's a good whack at Dracula sans sex and violence <laughs> but is that what we want? No, but it was one of the few pieces that had source material at the time, right? Yeah. I mean th there couldn't have been too many novels that were being optioned for movies in the 30s. So they at least had something to go from that wasn't just a screenplay, that wasn't just a song and dance number. And that's probably made it different enough that audiences would enjoy it for that fact alone. Yeah. There's the softest whisper of it with Lucy and Mina and they're, you know, wanting to not be uh, told what to do or, or who their, their, their chosen suitors should be and what's mm -hmm. more appropriate. And that whole dynamic of the boy that you're supposed to be with and the bad boy that you're attracted to and mm -hmm. even though the bad boy's worse for you that's the one that is the most interesting and alluring and mm -hmm. seductive mm -hmm. and again that would work if I thought that <laughs> Bela Lugosi was at all seductive but he's pretty <laughs> transparently evil in all of his moves like he, there's nothing cunning about anything that he does particularly um, he's in your face a bad guy and um yeah, it's not so much a seduction as he, you know, drinks her blood, forces her to drink his blood, puts her under a trance, puts her under a spell, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. I, I, it's interesting because I didn't think of it until now, but uh, even when Van Helsing discovers that he's Nosferatu, I mean, he hints at it from the first scene that he's on screen. Yeah. But as soon as it's, it's proven in fact, and... He just sort of shrugs his shoulders and leaves the room. Well, now you know. Yeah. See ya. I have no reflection. Deal with it. <laughs> and off he goes. He's, huh. All right. I'll be back to do more evil in a little while, but I'm just going to let this plot point sink in. <laughs> and they make all their preparations at that point. Yes. Wonderful. Um, 
I can feel like imagining myself like you know what uh, a proper gloves off Dracula movie I guess the closest that we've had is the Francis Ford Coppola which was mm. at least full throttle bloody and full throttle sexual whatever you want to say flaws to the pluses or minus to the rest of it sure um, and you definitely see the influence it, I mean it is a classic creature feature I mean what are you going to do mm-hmm. yeah you, there's a, a really weird bat that hangs on on strings and flaps and like a big special effect moment involves him walking through cobwebs and yes. uh the wow moments are not very wow. No, I mean, it was basic filmmaking, wasn't yeah. it? Like, but I still found I love the. I've always loved the sequence in, in almost any iteration of Dracula with the fucked up carriage ride up to the, the mm-hmm. castle and all the, the strange goings on around it and the and the driver that won't respond to any of your commands and in this case it's clearly Dracula who drives him at, he like drives <laughs> him there then changes his clothes. It's like he doesn't want to know that he doesn't have any actual servant servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the silence of the movie. Which I loved. Yes. A but lot of the times when you're watching these old Universal movies, as I remembered them, they're wall-to-wall sound, and that's not the, certainly the case with Dracula. No, no, it was silent the entire time, with the exception of the opening song and closing song for credits. Yeah. And I think that just lent to the suspense nature of it. I understand the where... Hitchcock got the idea to use nothing, right? Because there is something really wonderful about that, especially in the big spaces you were describing, too. When you silence can command. feel the silence in a giant room like that, it is much more unsettling as an audience member. It commands respect somehow. Silence commands respect. It almost says, hey, 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 pay attention. Can't hear anything, but you better listen because you might hear something, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of like, again, a fairly modern feeling sort of technique yep. uh, and you know 1931 you know, <laughs> not particularly <laughs> modern movie um, it's a film school I mean what it's, are you going to do I, it's weird like we're watching all these ghosts in yeah, front exactly. of the camera all these people in front and behind the camera like mm-hmm. they're, they're not around anymore uh, to defend the work and it's we're way out of context I can imagine how at that time this would be a really frightening movie to people I think that the Renfield character is sort of off the hook craziness is yep. there. Some people really got off on Bela Lugosi. I wasn't one of them. I liked that the, the sort of Mina subplot of the novel is left abandoned. Yes. We're told about this lady in white that's walking the countryside feeding on children. And then it's never mentioned again <laughs> for the rest it. of the movie. So mm-hmm. it's like this, you know, uh, you know, not sutured up nice and clean at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know what more I can say about it. I, I, I don't have a lot of background <laughs> in Dracula, so... Uh, it's not it's not a real chore to watch it. Again, originally, this is something that people would watch. It would have a newsreel and a cartoon in front of it. Yep. People would come dress up, and this would be their whole night. And, you know, it was like a status social thing that you'd, you'd seen. The, the, um, this is an immortal movie in its own way. I mean, I think that... Mm. <laughs> It's only going to continue to look and feel its age, but there'll still be guys like us that will find excuses to watch and talk about it. Absolutely, and I'm glad of that. Um, yeah, I enjoyed watching it front to back. It was it was a fun watch, and it really, as much as it had its creaks and groans, you have to expect that. And it didn't bother me as much as I thought it might. And it was fun. The fact that uh, there was so much uh, 
fear and suspense according to the audience at the time that they needed a comic relief I found kind of interesting oh, yeah. as well <laughs> the guy who's supposed to be looking after Renfield is constantly escaping his room <laughs> Martin was it Martin I can't remember his name anyway they kept on cutting to this old fart who was not that great at his job just to ease the give the audience a break from all this like nerve shredding fucking <laughs> tension that's going on wall to wall well clearly they needed it at the time or they felt they did it's funny. It's not a successful adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel at all, and it doesn't really fairly represent a lot of the proper themes of like vampire movies that would move forward, even fairly shortly after this. Certainly into the Hammer Studios version of Dracula oh, and man. when the seventies version of Dracula with Adam shows up, it's yeah, no, we're on. Yep. We're on. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the you know, the the Dracula movie you can watch with grandma. This is the Dracula <laughs> movie that you can you know, take home with the kids. This is yeah, this is horror homework, but it's it, it goes down easy. It does. Good enough? Fair enough. Oh, it's alive. It's alive, it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! <laughs> to prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! So also in 1931, Frankenstein came out. Um, We're assuming later that same year. I'm going to correct the credit that they gave. Uh, it was written by Mary Shelley. <laughs> Her credit in the film is Mrs. Percy Shelley, based on a based on a novel by Mrs. Percy, Percy B. Shelley. Shelley. Yeah. Wow, wow. Uh, much like Dracula, we're looking at an adaptation that is incredibly loose. Uh, this time, I think it was less about the thematic difficulties of the book because they did, frankly, address some child murder, which was controversial at the time. Indeed. But less with the hard lessons at the end of the book and the tragic trajectory of it because I think that they knew that this was going to be a property that they were going to be branching off of. They were going to do Bride of Frankenstein. They were going to, they were going to you know... The universal monster thing was, was becoming real. Yes. right away yep. so uh, necessarily they took large leaps away from the book but I think on a production level as much as I said nice things about Dracula even though it's just later in the same year I don't know, maybe it's just the James Whale as a director yep. technically it's just clearly a better made movie Yep. on almost every level yes. <laughs> than Dracula 100% uh, that also makes it easier to watch it's a familiar story sure. that they mostly stay true to, at least thematically, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, I found it generally uh, an easier watch than I did Dracula. I was able to get lost in it more than I was Dracula. Mm -hmm. I was snickering at it a lot less than Dracula. True. But again, I, I can't lie to anyone. It's still 1931, and it still comes with all of that. 
Yes. You know, sort of very formal performances and we're dealing with types and we're dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. a different era for suspense. What's going to be scaring the audience then is not what's going to scare this. The insidious crowd is going to sit with arms folded, right? Yes. <laughs> but yes, of course, Boris Karloff is, you know, iconic as the creature. And uh, it's, it's a story that is retold again and again and shall be retold again and again. So uh, it's one of those classic horror movies that what do you say about it? It's Frankenstein. <laughs> it's good. I enjoyed it very much. Um, and I think, unlike Dracula, I found the very stage-style performances in Dracula hard to watch at times, with the exception of a couple of asides directly to the camera by right. uh, the Frankenstein... Uh, who played him? Clive? Something? Sorry. Colin Clive Colin played Clive. Henry Frankenstein in this yes, original yes. story. So with the exception of a couple of his sides directly into the camera, I felt the stage acting a lot less. Right. And that was really nice. And absolutely the movement that the camera suddenly started making compared to Dracula was made it a much more engaging film. The fact that they could go from room to room all in a single shot was instantly more immersive, more engaging as an audience Clearly member. more cinematic. Oh. It was not a film play. This was a movie. It and was. Right away we noticed that difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one thing I would push back on as far as the theatrical performance, Frederick Kerr, who plays Baron Frankenstein, was giving <laughs> me like uh, what's the dude from fucking uh, Gilligan's Island, the rich Hawthorne, whatever guy, right? <laughs> It's like this, like that sort of snooty British aristocratic mm-hmm. archetype. Yeah. Red nose. Complete with monocle, yeah. Yeah, and like sort of comic relief, but not. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what he's contributing. He's a much bigger character here than as I remember him being in, in, in the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but his performance is of that old school, very stagey familiar. It's true. Most everyone else is giving kind of kind of, I guess, modern-ish performances. I thought so, yeah. There's still some of them playing for the back of the room, but it's not that sort of operatic, you know, theatrical war paint approach. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, uh, after watching it now, if partly that was due to the fact that the camera was able to move and actually push in on the actors a little bit. They maybe didn't have to feel like they were in such a big room anymore because the camera was right in their face so they could be smaller in their performance instead of grandiose, which was nice. Yeah, and uh, they're better at the big shots and the inserts, or at least at, at cutting them into it. There. Oh, wow. that memorable moment where they do the close up and he hugs the coffin and says, "Soon, my pet," or whatever. It yes, is exactly. Movie. And then they cut back to the wide, and it doesn't seem like a connected moment at all. No, uh, but sometimes it works when the th- the creature and he. Uh, confront each other within the gears of that huge windmill mm-hmm. and we sort of see them looking at each other through the string the spinning wheel. wheel that was you know that's a nice it's a very cool <laughs> shot yeah. and very inventive and something you wouldn't have seen prior to that I assume yeah uh, yeah moving through the sets with the cameras not cutting to the next room but like we, we passed through the walls a couple of times yep and then and I think that takes some of the theatricality for the actors because they don't have just their lines to hit. They have, they have to meet the camera in certain places. There's a technical Absolutely. aspect that, again, is making it more cinematic visually and uh, getting the actors' heads out of, you know, the live performance. Or, or, Absolutely. Or, uh, Absolutely. It makes for a less gimmicky performance for everybody, which is great. 
I love I love the lead performance of Frankenstein, especially when his creature first comes alive. How like he's so happy and so crazy simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that Renfield actor replay, uh, uh, returns here. Comes back as Fritz. Fritz, the Igor figure. It's funny when I, I studied Frankenstein a couple times. I did it in high school and in university. Mm-hmm. I ended up studying it, and I remember my teacher talking to me, saying like that he would still like occasionally get papers that would reference Igor. Mm-hmm. There's no Igor in the <laughs> book, right? You know, <laughs> read the book, dude. You're in university. But I found it surprising that he, he's not even named Igor in the movie. So if they're basing it off of this movie, then they, they didn't even, like... <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> like, wow. <clears throat> anyway, that was an aside. <laughs> um, so the creature. Obviously an important component to a monster movie. Indeed. Uh, uh, where, where are we landing on this? Well, a tough creature to play, I think. Uh, and <laughs> I, I suppose Boris Karloff was brave enough to take on the role, and good for him, but that was going to be an uphill battle the whole way. Uh, the academic his, approach to the novel is that we are to feel sympathy for this creature. Yes. Would you say that's accomplished? I think early in the movie they do a fine job of it as the movie wears on it becomes more and more difficult because they lose uh, I don't know they maybe lose the the arc of the tragedy to some degree and that's unfortunate well I've, I've when they much- first show the monster and he's reaching for the sunlight while sitting in the dungeon laboratory yeah. it's it's very you feel very sad and he gets and, beaten with chains and poked out with a torch which he obviously doesn't seem to care for particularly indeed he's not much loved he's shown the stick much more than the carrot oh, I get all of this sympathetic approach like I said I studied it twice and I've always been a little bit resistant to that I mean you're sympathetic up to a point yes a lot of villains have tragic backgrounds you can get behind their motivations but they can still be villains but for me once like Elizabeth gets killed in the book and like uh, a, a young relative of Victor Frankenstein gets strangled and this little girl famously in the in the pond uh, once once kids once innocents start getting killed Absolutely. then my sympathy sort of fades away mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting that again they didn't really pick an angle <laughs> he's going to be uh, a famous you know universal monster they're going to base a lot of other movies around him mm-hmm. uh, so he's got to be scary um, but we have to want to see more of him right. so again I don't think they really made a choice um, and that's actually better for me than the constant you know hitting of the head of man is a bigger monster than this creature yes. blah 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 he's, you know. yeah no and uh, that they were dubious about it made sense for the future yeah. that they were planning and the hubris of of course of defying God and defeating death they hit that note really hard for like the first third of the movie and then it's gone yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I feel like the first third, even half of the movie, addresses those uh, important themes of the book more directly, and then they realized perhaps that they had a future with this character and needed to maybe backpedal a little bit off of those things. Again, they let him kill that little girl. And at the time, that was controversial. That whole exchange between the creature and the girl, for some reason, that people thought that was crossing a line. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Maybe it's just how long that shot goes. The, the father carrying this corpse into town. Like the camera's just on An him forever. Shot. Yes. It's on him forever, and it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. Certainly, watching somebody carry a dead body through a crowd of celebrate celebrating people is. Uh, so an, an unsettling thing to watch, and and it works very well. Convincingly it's, ignites the mob. Absolutely, <laughs> it does. Uh, and then, of course, we lead to the incredibly famous uh, climactic sequence with the huge uh, windmill set oh, and uh, and model, and you know mm-hmm. uh, the the fire and the debris. I like, think this was like a pyrotechnic light show, very complicated. A lot of extras, a lot of live fire, a lot of you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, it was an ambitious sort of sequence. Again. And again, it's not like the rest of the movie was full of like makeshift sets. It's interesting how like the deeper we get into this, we're going to see things getting a little bit more obviously inexpensive in a lot mm. of ways. Uh, these feel like lavish productions in a lot of ways. They well, the sets do along uh, do a lot for that. Again, through that thirty-one filter. Yeah. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> the CGI is not, <laughs> is not great. <laughs> Um, yeah, so largely, I think, much more successful. Um, makes me, you know, curious moving forward. We have The Mummy, we have The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. we have, like, some of these ones, you know, to compare to the Marvel Universe, you know, there's ups and downs. What's next? Do we have Thor The Dark World, or do we have The Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. I suppose. Eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on Earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. The Mummy from 1932, directed by Carl Freund and starring Boris Karloff as the reincarnated mummy of Imhotep. Uh, some archaeologists find a mummy, they read a, a forbidden scroll, bring the mummy back to life, and the mummy goes about uh, trying to romance who he, the woman he believes to be the reincarnation of his previous wife. Yes. And that actress, Zita Johan, is my favorite actress we've encountered so far. <laughs> I think she's got real Wink. moxie. <laughs> Very well. She's got a winky sort of Betty Boop quality that she I does. was appreciating. Very much. 
Um, my experience of the mummy is that it started really strong <clears throat> and then very kind of quickly, precipitously headed off of the edge of a cliff. <laughs> it's I, true. I did like the setup. I like the original first look we get of the mummy when he yep. looks like a, a emaciated corpse and like all dried and gross and mm-hmm. dusty. Mm-hmm. But that's not how he spends most of the movie. No, indeed. He spends most of the movie as... The reincarnation of this prince, yeah. Boris Karloff. And uh, he's a very obviously bad dude doing very obviously bad things. Yes. I think you said very correctly after we watched it that it's a pretty sloppy combination of Frankenstein Frankenstein and Dracula. Dracula. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, so far, yeah, I guess I would have to say it's my least favorite of the ones that we watched uh, so far. did I hate watching it? I guess I wouldn't say that I hated watching it, but, you know, uh, it's having no real literary basis with which to launch off of and uh, not That's a lot a of thing. meat to choose story-wise and having a lot of the stuff being familiar. Mm-hmm. It kind of just felt kind of laid there a little bit. But well, I, I'm happy to hear a second opinion. No, no, I, I can't disagree with most of what you're saying there. I mean, uh, based on basically historical myth from Egypt Uh, I mean if that's your source material you can only do so much but it really did lay the groundwork for every mummy movie to come after it Uh, so I guess I'll give them that Um, I felt like Boris Karlov's performance though is like uh, after seeing him in Frankenstein as well as maybe the performances are too similar for me to really appreciate what a great actor he's known to be there's loose superstition that inspired this. Okay. The bad luck that has befallen certain archaeologists that mm-hmm. opened certain tombs, particularly ones that hadn't be, been pre-plundered. Mm-hmm. So, but there is no text. There's no real story here. That's and right. And Hotep's motivations are obvious because they tell us in that sort of very flat way. They're not trying to be <laughs> sneaky about everything. No. And he at times seems super overpowered in his ability to like look into a pool of water and force people to have heart attacks. Mm-hmm. And then other times he seems like comically underpowered. Yes. <laughs> when he has to run and hide from museum staff. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> I suppose poking holes in the story is a bit easy for this one, mm. just because it has nothing to work from. And that's one of the things that it maybe lacked, uh, and that on top of being a combination for me, as you said, of Frankenstein and Dracula. It's just, yeah. It seems the more modern take we get on all of these creature features, the better they have it playing the sympathetic note. Mm. I think, again, uh, like if we felt a little bit torn about the motivations of Imhotep or like maybe we had reason to believe that he was right this woman was the reincarnation she she does seem compelled to him it's but true. again I, I just fall back on it was a repeat of the trance thing the tra- Dracula mm-hmm. was putting people into trances so mm-hmm. this guy's putting people in trances and that's where it pulled mostly from Dracula too was all the close up shots of his eyes the movement of his hand as he is possessing these people from far away It's uh, there's just a deliberateness to it and it's kind of boring to watch maybe and call me petty but I wanted more mummy in my mummy movie like we got mummy for the first few scenes and I I gotta like like that first archaeologist guy who reads the scroll and mm-hmm. then sees the mummy wake up and leave the room and he yes. just starts laughing. <laughs> Goes mad. <laughs> he, and then we're told that he died laughing in a, in a mental institution <laughs> sometime later. <laughs> like, I, I like that. It might, I think that the groundwork there for a scary movie uh, was, was good. And, uh, Absolutely. I don't know. It's like if they made him a true monster that sort of lurked in the dark and, and, and 
you know, stumbled into the room and ate people who could like that. Or if they went, you know, oh, he's misunderstood. He just wants to be loved. He's waited lifetimes to essentially buried alive yeah. to find this love in his life. Let's feel bad for him. But they didn't really do that. No, they no, no. He's just, either. That's right. He's just a miserable prick who exists yeah. quite in your face the entire time. And it's, there's nothing redeeming about him. And so it's hard to feel sorry for him at all. He's... Yeah, the character is just kind of a dick. Yeah. And again, it's another one of these And characters. the reveal, too. Same thing, right? Yeah. The, the reveal is very upfront, almost rude. Yeah. And then leaves the room very abruptly. Fuck you. There's some uncomfortable bit of this business. Shocking violence, I think, for the time. Mm. We see a guy stabbed through with a spear. That's pretty cool. But some of the language and the treatment of the uh, black people in the film, the Nubians well, with their, quote, ancient blood being more easy for him to manipulate, it's a very old movie and it is oh, yes. of a different time and I understand like well and you have to take that with a grain of salt to some degree because movies 20 years ago wouldn't be made today let yeah. alone 80 yeah so it's true <laughs> um, and and again by today's standards it's, it's hardly like gratuitous necessarily oh. well the racism is gratuitous but the violence isn't within con you know mm -hmm. but it was surprising because it's clearly the most violent thing that we've seen so far uh, in any of the true. movies and, yep and, there it was. Um, not that the movies of this era were, to prove, you know, okay with violence. If you've ever seen the original cut of, you know, King Kong with him stepping on people and like mm -hmm. the rather grisly dinosaur deaths that are depicted in it, <laughs> yes. it it's it, it's weird days because they don't really have a rating system that that makes any kind of sense. It's true. And uh, some of the movies seem to be really reserved in their violence, mm -hmm. and some of them <laughs> seem yes. to let it fly. And I still love, this is a, like the thing I love about these old movies, whenever they do a fall and they have like the Raggedy Ann doll dummies that drop, every time that makes me smile. It doesn't convince me of anything, but no, it no. makes me smile exactly. every single time. I love that they're figuring it out, this whole world of filmmaking. It's kind of fascinating. But once again, in this, in The Mummy, I, I felt like the filmmaking was maybe lacking a little bit. Once again, the camera became completely like it was looking through a window. It became a two-dimensional scenario. There was very little use of the space in terms of adding the camera to it. And it was much more claustrophobic than the other movies that we've yeah. seen thus far, too, which had big, opulent spaces to We're take We're missing our big in. room scenes. We're missing all the big rooms. Now I understand most of it takes place in crypts, but yeah. uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, it would have been nice to get some space in the room occasionally. Yeah, and again, I, like, I'm a story guy. There's this one guy who has a magical amulet, which is supposed to protect him from the mummy's powers. For sure. Nobody else has that amulet anywhere in the movie. So presumably, couldn't the mummy just be given heart attacks left, right, and center here? <laughs> and, you know, just the basic motivations of the of our main character are, are highly suspect. Hmm. Well, they're just completely selfish, right? Yeah. Uh, of somebody who thought he ruled the world at one point, so... And we go back to the Dracula thing where this woman is compelled to be in his presence. She can't resist his charms. Once again. But much like the Dracula when I talked about, I don't see. There's no heat in that relationship. I, I don't no. see why she would be compelled to him unless it was some sort of magical evil spell that she was put under. Yeah. And again, it would have more power if, <laughs> mm -hmm. if it was, you know... Or, or again, they, they could play that card where it was real sort of physical desire versus, you know, right. again, the man she's supposed to be with against the man she wants to be with. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
I don't know. I guess overall for me, yeah, the Mummy is like a combination of Dracula and Frankenstein, and definitely worse than both of those parts. Yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment. And looking at this now, I understand. Like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people poo-poo our, our sort of negative approach to it, but uh, compared to the other movies, it's bad. I don't think like it's badly put together, and for in a movie of its time, I, I think it's quote fine. But I also understand. I'm watching it how when they remade it in the '90s, you know, that they decided to make it a goofy. Indiana Jones and Spirit kind of adventure and uh, uh, it was repurposed as a Tom Cruise action movie recently but like (laughs) there's not a lot there to remake so I guess I understand like I understand I understand both why it's respected but I understand why it's certainly not in the same breath or category as Frankenstein or Dracula Um, it's another interesting curio I mean if if you're this curious about it sure give it a watch but yeah well it's another monster movie from the time so yeah. why not look at it oh and uh, what was I going to say right I've completely forgotten another universal monster bites the dust it'll come back to me later once I press stop on the recorder that'll be when yeah you wanted to give props I wanted to give props to the special effect that we saw which is the first one that we've sort of seen in the series of movies now uh, where they did the overlay of film as the skull and uh, sort of flesh came through the bandages it was just when the mummy is being destroyed because the scroll is being destroyed Uh he rapidly ages into dust and for the time a pretty amazing feat of special effects well certainly noteworthy yeah it it, uh, yeah because it will come up again Right up to the top of his head, all round his ears. Flora's worried about Griffin. I had a terrible feeling last night. I felt he was in desperate trouble. He meddled in things men should leave alone. Not the slightest clue. That's where the clues are. He wasn't leaving anything to chance. There must be a way back. God knows there's a way back. What are you doing to help? Only you just leave me alone. It's the stranger with the goggles. He's gone mad. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. <laughs> Let me into your madness when you're peering through the keyholes and peeping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. But why? Why do it, Griffin? Just a scientific experiment at first, to do something no other men in the world had done. Suddenly I realized the power I held, the power to rule, to make the world corroborate my feet. You know who the Invisible Man is, Doctor. Where is Dr. Griffin? What's the good of concealing it? Oh, come and stay with us. Let's fight this thing out together. Police, quickly. The Invisible Man is in my house. He's mad. He's killed a man tonight. Believe me, as surely as the moon will set and the sun will rise, I shall kill you tomorrow night. The secret of invisibility lies there in my books. Don't you see what it means? Power. Power to walk into the gold vaults of the nations, into the secrets of kings, into the holy of holies. All right, moving on to 1933, again with director James Whale, same man who brought us Frankenstein, the special effects extravaganza Mm. that is The Invisible Man, based off of V.H.G. Wells' novel. And, um, yeah, again, I think we're seeing the benefit of having 
a story, material. Yeah. a source material to base off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really high concept, good pure sci-fi, but a good melding of horror as well. Yep. I think that um, I, I enjoy the special effects, I enjoy the story. I think that the flaw here, and I'd have to go back to the original text to see if it's from the text or just the idea of condensing it into 70 minutes or whatever, is that we don't get to know our protagonist before he's already become invisible and insane. That's right. And I think that a lot of the heft of the drama or the excitement or the, you know, the care, we'd feel more for him if we felt this decline. Mm -hmm. But basically we meet him, he's already invisible, he's already insane, he's a full-on monster. To me though, that is kind of the flaw of the movie. I mean, again, looking through the window of 1933, the special effects are great, the characterizations are fun and lively, I like everybody at that small town inn that we meet, they're they're simultaneously hilarious, but sort of credible, reacting to an incredible Mm -hmm. situation. Yep. We're... The love interest doesn't work again because we didn't see the love established, so, uh, I mean, yeah. But I do like that we established with this villain, and he, you know, declares he will do evil deeds, and he does indeed do some evil deeds. Absolutely. He makes a promise he's going to murder somebody at 10 o'clock the next day, and he murders somebody at 10 o'clock the next day. He he tips over a baby carriage. He derails a fucking train. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. the carnage count in this movie is through the yeah. ceiling compared to everything else we've seen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it would probably be the most lauded and remembered piece of, like, special effects of its era, mm-hmm. if not for a little movie called King Kong. Right. coming out in a similar time frame <clears throat> which is basically entirely one large elaborate special effect mm-hmm. but I mean this is special effect not that Kong isn't but this is more a sort of a razor point on, on using the special effects to help tell the story mm-hmm. we see we originally meet the Invisible Man and he's all wrapped in bandages and we can't wait to see him and they give us some early winks and some early pe- yeah. peaks and eventually you know we get our review. We get our full-on quote, "Invisible Man." Yes, we do. Uh, great, great <laughs> stuff. And again, the, uh, an, an enemy who isn't there, the man who is not there. The, uh, so I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, yep. So that's where I start. All right. Uh, yeah. I, once again, this one seems so much more dynamic to me. James Whale, I think, is a big reason for that. But a good all director of the moving helps. camera, all of the like, noticeably putting a camera on dollies and on jibs and getting much more dynamic coverage of the entire story which just engrosses me as a viewer so much more easily um, yeah it's unfortunate that we start perhaps with our protagonist too late uh, to have any sympathy for him it's unfortunate because he's already just an egomaniacal sociopath and that's unfortunate Like it would have been nice to get to know him a little earlier when he was a softer man when he had more of a relationship with the love interest uh, I have more sympathy Laura. with the dude he kills this guy who clearly was interested in his girlfriend we yep. get an idea of that oh, but yeah. uh, is earnestly at least first trying to help this guy until mm-hmm. he becomes like a live-in hostage with him that's right <laughs> um, but I understood his motivation and sort of felt the bind that he was in and then felt his terror knowing this invisible man was out to get him and that, you know, if an invisible man wants to kill you, you're probably going to die. And he wasn't villain enough to, quote, deserve his fate. But, I mean, between that death and the death of the invisible man himself, I felt more for this guy. Most definitely. Well, partly because his death is told to him in detail right before it happens, which is a fucking horrible thing to encounter in any time. But... 
This poor bastard sitting in the car being told this car is going to roll down a hill after I push it. It's going to go through a fence. Then it's going to have a hundred meter drop into the bottom of a canyon and hit a boulder and explode. Enjoy that. So have fun. Push. And off he goes. And holy shit. Psychological horror on top of the physical visceral horror. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, yeah. But once again... You know, these scientists up to their damned experiments. Yeah. I don't know what it is about these monster movies back in the day, but... Man should not have tread there. No. Uh, two okay. of the actresses that I want to mention. Gloria Stewart, interestingly, plays Flora. Uh, she's ha- had a late in her career resurgence by being in, in Titanic. That's kind of an interesting note. She doesn't have a lot to do in the movie, really. No. But I'm, I don't think she sucks. And just older kind of, Rose, yeah. Yeah, interesting. But I think the real sort of... Uh, you know, if I was handing out awards for this, this actress Una O'Connor, who plays Jenny <laughs> Hall, the woman who's uh, running the boarding house with her, it's I guess not husband, but boyfriend or whatever, uh, she kind of reminds me of the old servant who looks after uh, Scrooge in the Alistair Sim version of thing. Scrooge. Yes, just the hysterical screaming. Yeah, the low status sort of Cockney accent and her yeah. just screaming at any given situation. Absolutely. And, and like the short leash that she's got her boy on. You're going to do this or I'm going to, there's going to be hell to pay. And yeah. then when her boy gets hurt, she just completely fucking flips out. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. I, <laughs> I love that she becomes completely hysterical. It's, uh, <laughs> oddly enough, that's a, it's an appropriate reaction to some degree. It's way over the top, but it's it's at least fun. I don't know. Uh, and you were talking about when we watched it. This is the first time we've seen anything like a montage, or mm-hmm. like these quick. When cuts. the yeah, when they're putting the word out over the radio that there's an invisible man on the loose, and we're cutting to all these farmhouses, uh, other pubs you know all these different locations to show how the word is actually getting out via radio and people just, nailing the doors shut and uh, walking it's it, it's not a play on film anymore it's actually turning into a movie yeah uh, and then it gets you sort of thinking, like, how would you go about catching an invisible man? And there's hilarious things like <laughs> the uh, police linking arms and encircling a property and just walking in and hoping not to bump into anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also think, I mean, I get what he's going for with the woohoo, crazy, crazy, but uh, it would have been nice if the madness was a little bit more motivated. Like, uh, <laughs> like again, right away, well... I'm going to be an evil, evil person, and we're going to start killing people. Some famous people, some not-so-famous people. <laughs> Just to show there's no yeah. uh, there's favoritism. Yeah. Oh, God. It's, it's a high concept. Again, it feels like a science fiction movie. Like A lot of people consider, I guess, Alien to be the first and purest sci-fi horror. But, I mean, the fly and, and this Invisible Man thing, this H.G. Wells sort of dealt in this as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I do think, and... It's interesting because, like, the more easy special effects for the film was when he's completely invisible, when they just have manipulating the set and the environment, which, again, everybody 100% believed. Like, Mm -hmm. there is your invisible man. I I like that your special effect is literally nothing. Nothing. It's an unspecial effect. And, you know, the the cheapest stuff is what really kind of I found the most charming in this. Mm -hmm. In, In modern versions on The Invisible Man, like, Memoirs Invisible Man or Hollow Man, you know, very expensive, tough special effects. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking about what you think Invisible Man would look like in the rain, we, we get to see it. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's some showstoppers. His dancing around in his shirt is famous. Yes. The lighting of the cigarette. Yes. Uh, that know. was a great, great effect. It looked awesome. 
I, and I totally get like at the time people would be like going back to see it again or telling their friends no you gotta check out the Invisible Man that shit's crazy <laughs> yep they must have had an Invisible Man on set I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am personally convinced but for my horror fans who listen to Rank and Review mm. out of the movies we've watched so far this one it definitely felt the most like a horror movie Absolutely. there's not much to redeem in this guy, character like nope. when he goes down and falls we see the lump fall into the snow drift mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a hilarious business about him having a, a doctor tell us exactly where he's been shot like they could somehow perform <laughs> some exploratory surgery <laughs> or something uh, <laughs> We feel nothing for him. And I feel like the movie wants us to feel something. It's like there's scenes missing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said at the start of the review, that's as close as I can come to wagging a finger. That's that's my flaw in yep. the movie. Yep. And uh, if you're bloodthirsty, this is the best on the list so far. so far. I think maybe I still might give the edge to Frankenstein, but we're not around to ranking them yet. Um, but it's interesting. Now we're going to be moving forward uh, like... A significant chunk of time, time yeah. and in some ways the production values improve and in some way they kind of shrink it's sort of I don't know if it's franchise fatigue or if it's you know new new management or what but mm. and it's just being put on different things for the contemporary audience that it was right but um, no I had fun with the Invisible Man yeah very much it was a delight is there anything else you'd like to say before I press this button hmm Got invisible. Beaten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. This uh, classic idea of the Wolfman that we all have is bullshit. This whole like the the lore of the Wolfman and how there's been stories of the Wolfman throughout history. Yes. Well, there's been stories of people that change into animals and animals that uh, affect when they bite people give them affectations of animals. But it, this movie is interesting, and so is the next one we're going to review. In that, it's not based on any source material. This is a complete right. invention. Mm-hmm. It's a complete invention, and you'd think. I mean, I guess as an English major, I would be suspicious of that with without this rich material behind it, you know. 
are they still going to be able to make something of value? And since we're still talking about the Wolfman in 2020, I'm going to go ahead and say that yes, they did. I think they managed, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the whole idea of somebody who, the, the lunar cycle affecting their change, mm-hmm. um, there's a little bit more about the gypsy and the, the sort of the mark of the beast sort right. of on them and this poem that we get recited over and over and over again in the movie. But we've stepped a little bit forward in time and the performances are starting to feel a lot more comfortable and a, a, a lot more modern, especially our lead, mm-hmm. Milan Cheney Jr. Yes, indeed. He just seems like a normal guy when he shows up. There's nothing sort of stiff or wooden about him. And his dad, you know, uh, Claude Rains, he is a little bit, you know, the stiff English gentleman, but it's appropriate for the character. Quite right. Uh, it, it doesn't take me out of it. And despite <laughs> our main character, Lawrence Tabot, Larry, who's a guy <laughs> named Larry who we like and sympathize with, a very rare thing in movies, um, we, we like him despite the fact that his approach to kind of uh, romancing this girl is more than a little bit creepy <laughs> by today's standards. Mm-hmm. He spies on her through a window, then he goes into the shop and he starts talking to her all creepy about the stuff he's learned by yes. spying on her. Yes. And this is all supposed to be super charming. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But uh, it, it's charming still, but just not in the way that it intended to be charming. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. it's off cue in a way that it, it, it's sort of amusing. But... <laughs> This the tragedy works in this because we like the character. Yes. So yes, overall, I feel the Wolfman was a worthy use of my time. Again, it's another tight, was seventy five, eighty, if that minutes. Yeah. Uh, it gets the job done quickly, and um, yeah, I like the Wolfman for the most part. I have to agree with you. I really enjoyed the Wolfman. I thought the amount of story that they were able to manufacture from oh, well, I'm assuming it was based on some of these myths of people changing into animals, but. Uh, they manufactured a really, really solid story and uh, managed to create some canon along the way that has been used since, right? Which is remarkable and deserves a nod, at the very least. Um, I liked the Lon Chaney character. I, I'm not sure if I liked the Lon Chaney Jr. just as an actor, but no. uh, I appreciated why he was cast and why he was appropriate for the role. Um it helps that he's a pretty hulking fellow as well, uh, particularly when the changes happen and uh, makes the violence seem a little bit more necessary that happens against him. So, And even when he's uh, fighting off the wolf in the forest in the opening scenes, it's it's believable enough that he could actually fight one of these beasts off. Yeah. Um, Especially with, with getting away with silver, only a bite. Silver staff. Oh, right, yes, the silver-tipped wolf cane, that, cane is, that he yes. uses to beat the, the wolf. And the original werewolf, it just looks like a wolf that he right. defends this woman from this woman and he takes his bite. And that's the sort of thing about a werewolf bite, as established by this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. if you get bitten by a werewolf, you're fucked. Like, yes. the solution is death or, you know, you become this monster and, and you kill people. That's right. And I think this is a different thing from a lot of the horror... I mean, not that we haven't had somewhat sympathetic takes on these other guys. This guy doesn't want to hurt anyone. He's desperately, you know, That's just, just wants to be a normal guy and mm-hmm. have this romance and live his life and be a happy, well-meaning fellow. Indeed. And his life gets thrown off of a cliff by this. Indeed. Through no fault of his own, but in fact, through a heroic effort of his own. That's it right. is a classic horror movie thing. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Here it is. Um, 
at the time it came out, these slow dissolve fades that we do over his sitting still body mm-hmm. uh, to slowly morph him into the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that was a lot more impressive when you're watching it in the theater uh, in the day. But it does Certainly. establish, I think, that you can do stuff in the shadows. You can sort of work around it. You can there's you know where they the human footsteps start and then all of a sudden the, the footprints turn into wolves. Right. Good stuff like that. But sooner or later you have to show the beast, and not only that for a werewolf movie. Sooner or later you have to show us a transformation. This That's is right. just a Hollywood rule. Uh, nobody's done it better since the American Werewolf in London, I don't think. But uh, uh, you, you just have to do it. And uh, I like watching it as thinking like. Some kid watched this when it was on the big screen, and it blew his fucking mind. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it was a revolutionary technique, even just to lay film over itself so you could create that transformation right before your eyes. It was unheard of. I mean, as you say, usually they would pass by a tree in the foreground or some obvious place where you could make a cut and make that change. So yeah. to see it actually happen on screen before your eyes in 1942 or whenever this came out. Yeah. Uh, remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. It's 41 according to the Wikipedia, but close enough. Oh, shame on me. Um, <clears throat> I'm already failing at my history lesson, apparently. <clears throat> but, yeah, uh, the amount of uh, camera tricks that they were able to use, and then the astonishing work done by the makeup artist. Yeah. Just uh, beyond uh, what was even expected at that time, I would think. And I was glad to hear that uh, throughout the years he got his kudos, despite being... Uh, unceremoniously dismissed from Universal after yeah. not growing with the times because yeah, how dare you invent something and then not grow with it but I'm good at doing it my way <laughs> well then shame on him I guess well but to his credit the picture <clears throat> even to this day even in the day and age of like the Benicia Del Toro Wolfman yes when people I think think of the Wolfman this is the image that they still have yep. still today it's basically the dog face boy yeah, yeah. And um, that that is interesting, like mm-hmm. that with all the amazing effects and like the hellhound approach that that mm-hmm. Meryl from London took. That mm-hmm. still, it's the the, the two legged standing clawed werewolf that we seem to have that that seems to have made the most impact culturally. Mm-hmm. I really liked in the original movie how it was a good relationship between the father and son. I think one of the things that bothered me about the remake is that. In the remake, Anthony Hopkins plays his dad, Benicio's right. dad, yes. and he ends up being the, basically the main adversary of mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. And it took the heart out of it. It took kind of the tragedic, tragedy out of the movie a little bit. Hmm. The idea that you have to kill your son to save him from this curse is actually, I think, pretty devastating. I would think, yes. <laughs> and uh, so after a point, the movie, I think, you know, after the point of that bite, it almost, the movie could shift to become about that father character, mm. you know. What do you do when somebody you love is, you know, changing for the worse, and, right. and there's no way out of it. Uh, it set up more dramatic stakes than we saw in any previous movie, and that we're going to see in any other movie that we talk about. Yes, yes. Well, it's that human element to the creature, once again, right? Anytime you're, uh, I, I mean, even with Frankenstein, you're bringing somebody back from the dead. With somebody, like, the same with the mummy, and uh, Dracula's all to himself. But the wolf man is man, first and foremost. And I think that's maybe why we appreciate that hybrid image to this day, because it is the best hybrid between them. American Werewolf London is amazing, but it's more wolf than man anymore, yeah. right? And once it takes that sort of... It, there's a point to which 
both species are married well, and then once it goes too far in either direction, it just doesn't seem to work yeah. anymore. So it makes sense that this is the image that sticks in everyone's mind. We know what a man is. We know what a wolf is. We'll let you know the werewolf is somewhere in between. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I feel you. I mm-hmm. feel you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really like the gypsy culture <laughs> in the movie. Uh, Bela Lugosi yeah. shows up to give this... Prophetic warning to our first victim, yeah. and, and uh, it's kind of campy. He's really big and over the top in the way that we love Bella Lugosi to be. But I like this whole like it's not a real sort of authentic portrayal of gypsies. I don't know if there's ever been an authentic <laughs> quote portrayal of gypsies. It's all this idea we have of this, you know, caravan of like ancient psychic. Withered old ladies, <laughs> just cross scarves. Yeah, wreak havoc wherever they go, um, and like it hasn't changed a beat. You go from this movie to the gypsy culture that's shown in, in Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, and they have not aged a day. It's nope. the exact same sort of Absolutely. thing. I don't know if this movie established that as well, but it, I still feel its influence. And for a movie that came out in 1941, bravo! No small feat. Yeah. Oh, they did a very fine job indeed. Is there anything else you want to say about Wolf Hunt? I feel like we've done short drift on it, but I don't know what more to say. It, it speaks for itself in a lot of ways. It really does. I mean... It was an easier watch than some of the other ones. I didn't I didn't feel it was as much of a hill to get over. I felt more access to the movie than I did some of the other ones. Well, and the uh, just film had developed so much already by this point in history as well. Like the, the just the amount of moving camera was much more noticeable. The uh, the sets and the locations that they used just seemed much more uh, encompassing of the audience and that's huge. That makes a big difference I think when you're telling a story on screen if you can make your audience feel like they're there with you. It's going the time is going to go by a little bit quicker, right? So win. couldn't explain it, but there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon, a throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago, immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before, in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. I'm pretty sure the first time, maybe there was a few establishing shots in the other one. The creature from the Black Lagoon seems to have been shot largely on location. Yes. Uh, and right away, that sort of ups the kind of production experience when you're when you're watching the movie. You see actual alligators. You see real footage of the Amazon where mm-hmm. the story's set. Right. Now, I'm sure there was definitely a set for the boat and a set for the lagoon and a very controlled environment for the underwater swimming. But of course. The fact that we get all of this establishing, especially in the first third of the movie, of these real locations, mm-hmm. it gives as much, quote, reality establishing this fantastic story as we've seen in any of the other movies so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to its credit. Also, once again, the fact that it's a completely original work, 
for film. Yeah. Uh, there's no blueprint for us. We don't know what's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have this idea in our heads what the Dracula story is going to be, what That's the Frankenstein right. story is. Even the Wolfman, I think you kind of understand the trajectory of the, the movie, even if you haven't seen it before. It's true. Yeah. This one about this uh, scientific expedition in the Amazon that finds a really interesting claw that that, that is perched out of this rock like a tree branch. Yes. When I originally saw this film, uh, it was in 3D projected at the museum in Regina. And uh, I don't know if it was a different version or if it's just my memory of it. I remember it being a lot more cheesy than it was watching it this time. It felt much more like they were playing it to be a straight thriller than... I remember the audience laughing a lot at all of the cheesy 3D angles, and I didn't notice it. We didn't watch it in 3D, although we did watch it projected. Um, It actually is a legit monster movie the way we would understand a monster movie to be today. So we have a group of characters that we get to know. They go someplace they shouldn't. They start getting picked off one by one. Their their, means of escape is blocked. There's obstacles to overcome. All of that is absolutely there. And what's new or I think was new at the time is not only do we get this really cool crazy Gilman suit with the famous sort of puffers under his cheeks to make yes. him look like he's sucking air but the suit was designed to function underwater and we have all of this gorgeous gorgeous underwater cinematography um, and really good sparing views of the creature I mean the first few times we see it it's just a claw coming out of the water and it's sort of like hilarious the music sting it happens again and again and again to tell us the creatures there and it's it's almost if he had eyes on his hand I guess that would make sense but he just keeps on letting the audience know that he's nearby that's right but the movie is better than any of these movies that we've seen before at you know revealing the creature slowly even the first time we see a full good shot of the creature it's super quick it's super quick and you know by the time we get to the third act yeah we're going to see the creature big and large and that's what you paid your money for and it it delivers on that you know effect Um, the acting uh, sort of goes up and down some of it's a little bit more wooden than others but it does feel like a more modern adventure sort of romp it does and watching it with you because we just watched it yesterday I, I, I'm sort of mystified that like every one of these other movies has been reinterpreted several times mm-hmm. and The Mummy just took a big old crap that, that yeah. Tom Cruise movie That's right, right? Yeah. why haven't we seen more from this property Especially in the modern era. Where's our Gilman movie? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess The Shape of Water, but that's a different thing, right? Entirely. Yeah. And the, the Gilman's like a supporting character in the Harry Potter, but I don't know. This creature's interesting. I, I think that it kind of deserves a modern take. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with this original one, but since everything else has been so richly reinterpreted, why is no one taking a whack at the creature from the Black Lagoon? It's a curious thought, yeah. And it's a turnaround for me because when I originally saw the movie, I thought maybe it should be like a Tim Burton type of remake where they don't change the script at all and lean into the cheese, sort of treat it like the 60s era Batman. Sure. But watching it this time, I say no. I said remake it and try and make this scary. I think it could really work. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it, it ticks the boxes for me as a horror movie fan. It's... I don't know if it's reinventing the wheel, but at this point the wheel was early enough that it, it, <laughs> the map wasn't as clear. And uh, I largely like the cast. Uh, I think we both agreed that our favorite was Nestor Palva as Captain Lucas. Yes, indeed. The guy, he's, this is his ugly old tugboat go t- delivering them to and from the lagoon. Right. The tugboat called Rita. Yeah, and he's got a big shit-eating grin on his face all the time, whether it's called for or not. But somehow it's charming. It's just, it's somehow, even when it's inappropriate... 
It's charming. So <laughs> that was my opening salvo on The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Once again, I, I liked it more than I kind of thought I would revisiting it. Well, this was my first time seeing it, too. So uh, for me, it was uh, uh, unexpected and really quite delightful. Um, it's a good question as to why they haven't tried to remake it other than that uh, we've since discovered so much more about the ocean. There's plenty of real monsters down there that they can focus on, so maybe why do an imaginary one? But uh, I'm thinking, of course, of Jaws yes. and uh, other sharks movies. But um, uh, I really, really enjoyed all of the, uh, the the sequence where they're actually going down the Amazon, finding this little tributary that takes them into the Black Lagoon, and their curiosity about maybe these fossils washed up down there. We have to go and investigate, and it's uh, just it just seemed plausible enough that this is the route they would take. They didn't just end up there. They made a point out of the blue, painstakingly explaining who everybody was, why they were going where they were going, in a way that seems almost like they were almost condescending, like they're explaining it to a school child. Like it's maybe a little <laughs> bit awkward in how it's presented, but they didn't just want to be a dumb movie. I think that the, in That's this time it. and age, they were establishing quote the reality mm-hmm. of this scientific expedition. That's right, and this one guy who you know is sympathetic to the creature and doesn't think they should kill it and the other guy the theologist yeah. yeah the other guy is just firing a harpoon at it as soon as he sees it and well yeah he's the money guy yeah so. it, I, it's interesting to try and think about the motivations of the creature on one hand you think well they are fucking with it they came to its territory and started shooting harpoons at it but on the other hand it just randomly shows up and kills people yes. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I don't really fully understand like it stalks the, the woman as she's doing her carefree swim in an Amazon lagoon, which just, you couldn't pay me any money to do that. But I didn't get this, like, King Kong thing where he fell in love with her. It was almost more like he was curious about it. Like, he, as much as they've never seen him, he's never seen anything like them before. True enough. But, yeah, the first couple guys he kills, he kills for no reason at all, because they're there. And everything else seems to be reactionary, but... Again, classic monster movie template. And like you were talking about, if it was an alligator or a shark, it would still be playing the role of the monster. It would have motivations. It would get angry yes. if you heard it. It would it would make it it would become Jaws it's personal. Yes, right. <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> um, and I, I think that there was an opportunity to show more dimension to the creature, but the creature itself was so cool. I think that it was just enough of a spectacle at the time especially. Mm-hmm. It was just such a mind blowing thing that it, it was enough just to see the Gill Man. Absolutely. The suit that they mocked up was incredible. It was so good. Like, uh, for 54, and uh, just shocking uh, how much work they must have put into it. But it makes me wonder if, uh, like, the production value on this is so much higher. I wonder how much higher the production budget was. Right. Just to do all of the underwater photography at all in 54, I mean, they certainly didn't have the equipment that we have now to do it. And well, it would have cost a small fortune I would think we looked and at the particularly in those controlled environments for sure we looked at the equipment that the characters were using in the movie and we were wondering mm-hmm. how different the actual equipment they were using to shoot it must have been <laughs> probably not very not very <laughs> I wouldn't think um, yeah the and there is there's some thoughtful I guess by monster movie conventions there's like I say the guy who wants to study the creature and the guy who wants to instantly exploit it and it's the discovery of the ages there's like even if they have to leave and come back like Mm -hmm. they found this creature it's their find and for some reason this guy is just like no no one will believe us unless we bring its head back with us right Right. 
it it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it was still doing more than most monster movies of its time, mm-hmm. uh, as far as you know, being about something. Right. Because we're about to enter the age where monster movies kind of fall out of favor, and it goes all into like flying saucers and the threat from right. outer space and right. being outmatched scientifically by your adversary. It's mm-hmm. sort of and the ills of man. We we've done something we shouldn't, and now giant ants are coming to eat us. Um, <laughs> Yeah, then, then you can see, yeah, it's it's all about us. Our hubris is revisiting us in the shape of these monsters. But I don't know that that was as common in 57. I could be wrong about that, but... No. <laughs> uh, yeah, admittedly, I don't know enough about the cinema of 54 to comment <laughs> accurately on that. But. The movie works well enough for the characters, so when the asshole guy dies, I'm happy that he dies, mm-hmm. but it's still a tragic moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And he just limp body sort of surfaces, face down Oof. in the lagoon. It's yeah. like, by 54 or whatever, kind of a devastating <laughs> moment. Absolutely, right? absolutely. It's, it, sorry, I no. just was uh, thinking that it is interesting that we want to root for the monster more than anyone else. Well, uh, we've been trained to by the other monster movies, too. It's true. And he takes a licking. And keeps Whoa. on ticking. He wow. takes two or three harpoon hits. Yep. He's gassed and chemicaled several times, yes. and then he's shot like five or six times at yes. the end yep. before the, our hero mercifully says, no, that's enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the line when we got there. But uh, yeah, no, and I mean, he obviously like slinks back into the Amazon basin at that point. Who knows what happens to him after that. But, I got uh, a Jaws vibe <clears throat> of him sort of slowly sinking into the depths. It, it, the, like the shark sort of, once it's, it's been exploded, is slowly mm-hmm. descending into the ocean and mm-hmm. disappears. Uh, yeah, but again, no part of you would believe, you know, when you're in the theaters watching The Creature from the Black Lagoon, you know there's going to be more Black Lagoon and you can't freaking wait. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, when I was a kid, my only real experience with him was like uh, in the Monster Squad. Yes. The Gilman in the one Monster Squad. Holy is, crap. I have affection for that movie. It hasn't aged particularly well, but it's it, it has a strong place in my heart. Well, yeah. Um, I think this might be the most accessible of the movies, of the six movies that we watched for the modern day. Yes, well, I mean, it's the most modern of the yeah. movies that we've reviewed as well. Well, so and I feel like my list might reflect that a little bit it's gonna be hard not to um but i mean i did enjoy revisiting all these movies i really did enjoy this one and once again i have like yay rank and review i've revisited a movie and completely had a like a completely different change it's been happening more and more lately where i go to review a movie that i kind of figure i i I know how i feel about it Mm. and then i watch it again and (laughs) Mm. um this is one of the perfect form monster movies. The way people will say that Halloween is like the perfect form slasher movie, sure. it's the slasher movie that you should compare all other slasher movies to. Mm-hmm. In it, in the way the creature behaves in the setup and execution of the story, the creature from the Black Lagoon is the template for a monster movie. And sometimes I would say that in a way of wagging my finger at a movie. But in this case, respect. <laughs>
All right. That is six universal classic creature features reviewed. Gareth Nickel, thank you so much for being here, brother. I do appreciate you. I hate to always bully you about the podcast, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Oh, Uh, We've got to give a shout out to Anita. All right. Hi, Anita. Hey, buddy. Thanks for doing my (laughs) podcast, Once Upon a Time. Uh, Yeah. So here we sit. Uh, As we said at the start of this, it's a weird bunch of movies to rank because they're so removed from where we are. Here we are, a couple of modern 2020 dudes, and like <laughs> these movies weren't made in our time not or no, for no. our time. No. So I, I guess take it with a grain of salt. But I would, even the least of these movies, I wouldn't ever tell anyone not to watch them. No, no. That's I would like, encourage if, everyone to watch them, actually, if you're a, little if you're a bit, fan. If you're a little bit curious about it, do it. They go down really easy. <laughs> They're quick, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. No, I've seen longer episodes of HBO television, so... Yeah. I don't know if it's about me getting older, but I find I have a lot more patience for a lot of these retro horror movies. Too. Oh, it's I, definitely you getting older. Yeah, probably. But like when I was a kid, I'm like, this isn't scary. This is old and lame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there are elements of this isn't scary. This is old and lame. But largely I had fun. Gee, what was your least favorite of these six movies <clears throat> and why? Okay. Well, coming in uh, dead last was The Mummy. What? Yes. Um... <laughs> There was there was a lot wrong with it. Uh, it was the same director uh, from Dracula, and it meant that after there was a progression from Dracula to Frankenstein where the camera was moving and we saw a, a little bit more violence and it was a little more interesting to watch, the mummy almost took a step backwards. Yeah. That. And uh, it, because it was, and it was an invented story that was poorly invented, unfortunately. It just, uh, it didn't get me from the beginning. It was just kind of a mess top to bottom so it's at the bottom of my list okay what's your number five all right in number five i uh against what i wanted to but uh dracula was number five um once again it's it's like it's mostly because it is the oldest of the films that we've watched and uh it was very much a plum movie a lot of these beautiful sets big open spaces and they didn't use them at all other yeah. than set up a camera as far away as they they could and then film the action that was taking place and when you've only got two characters in a ballroom it's not very exciting to watch from 40 yards away right so it struggled that way um even though it had source material it just didn't quite work for me I guess on screen and uh, I guess with Mummy in number 6 and Dracula number 5 I guess I'm not exactly giving Bela Lugosi the biggest shout out but, uh, sorry buddy throwing uh, some shade on Bela Lugosi I guess who knew <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize but uh, risk taker <laughs> he was wonderful gypsy though in Wolfman um, yeah yeah so just it just suffers from being the eldest I right. think uh, but hey they, they struck out and made a movie in 31 so that's and something it was huge at the time I mean, again I, mm-hmm. I do think that the problem is you're, I, you're right it's a filmed play yep in a lot of places it is it is so in number four uh i put the invisible man uh reason being uh they had some incredible source material for to work from and left out the front half of that source material which meant we had no sympathy for the invisible man because he basically came in in a rage you didn't see him develop 
uh, into that rage because of this uh, illness that he had. He's barking mad yes. from scene one. From scene one, moment one, and unfortunately, as we've pointed out already, you want to have sympathy for these monsters, and it's hard to have sympathy for a, a monster if they're <laughs> evil from the get-go. And as and I remember, this nothing is nothing redeeming about this guy. This is, you know, I mean, he knocks over flower vendors and pushes kids off bicycles. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. He's just an evil, evil person. And, and as I remember, without this is something that, that he did to himself. I mean, it was still a tragedy, but oh, it wasn't indeed. something necessarily inflicted upon him. No, it was self-inflicted. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, he was just too much of an asshole right from moment one. So. Uh, yeah, that's why that one is there. Uh, number three, Frankenstein. Um, I enjoyed Frankenstein very much. Uh, it was, uh, once again, I think, after seeing Dracula first, watching this one next, you started to see those camera moves. You had a ton of sympathy for this poor character that was <laughs> resurrected from the dead. That's a bad way to come back into being. And um, Not a great parental figure. <laughs> not as such. Um, and yeah, the 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 poor monster was definitely just a character you could sympathize with. It was well done, and uh, I thought they did very well with the source material on that one, putting it on screen, which was not easy to do on the heels of Dracula, and they did a much better job with it. Different director from Dracula and the Mummy as yeah. well, and I think that was a big thing too. Just again, just a more dynamically filmed. Uh, movie and that makes a huge difference, a huge difference uh, particularly watching it now maybe at the time it would have been even higher on my list but uh, yeah, it, it comes in number three. Number two, I had The Wolfman um, original story and original lore that has stuck with us all the way through to present day, very impressive I thought uh, largely the acting was really good, it was a lot less um, stagey and they accomplished it very well um, it was a nice blend of uh, well they and they said this too but uh, between the modern world and uh, the aging world sort of brought together in this its very own atmosphere and it made it really accessible for the audience because you didn't necessarily relate it to one place or time and that was helpful I think for a story like this one which of course leaves number one to be the creature of the Black Lagoon once again they invented a brilliant story, I thought, and uh, it was just so, so well executed. The shots were, at times, beautiful, considering it's a black-and-white movie from 54. Yeah. Wow, they did a tremendous job, particularly the underwater footage. They had just enough light to capture these things, and it was just a joy to watch. So, there we have it. Creature so your list, as I understand it, is The Mummy, Dracula, The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. That is correct. Gareth Nichols, the new Rankin Review champion. Oh my god. I think it, part of it might be that we watched all the movies together. Could be. Like, we both, like, we watched them and we chewed the fat like right away as we experienced them so maybe that helped us align more I hope Matthew Risling isn't too disappointed by this it was a short reign but mm. <laughs> there it was uh, I'll go through my list because mm -hmm. it is my right but uh, I think I'm largely going to echo what you're saying The Mummy was the worst both on a script level and on an execution level for me so yep. it was an easy pick for last place yep. uh, I think they had the least to work with 
it, there was a few comical moments early mm-hmm. on when the first guy sees the mummy come to life. Or like, yeah. I laughed, yeah. but I don't think that was the <laughs> response that they wanted. They were hoping for something different. Yes, if I had to say there was one movie to avoid, and I would say watch all of them, but if, like, yeah, this was easily the bottom of the list. Yep. Dracula's number five, and it's more an important movie than maybe, I think, a good movie in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. It's interesting to see this formative performance of Bela Lugosi. You're right about, like, the huge spaces that they're in, giving the movie sort of this grandeur, but the for me, it just felt knee-deep in mud. It was just moving like molasses. Mm. It was just any kind of energy or thrills that could be built up just weren't happening so it was became a little bit more academic <laughs> for me uh, number four The Invisible Man for me in a lot of ways it's kind of considering when it was made the most impressive light show special effects extravaganza like 100% I can definitely see people their jaws hitting the floor <laughs> when oh they saw gosh, it for the yeah. first time but yeah, we lack access to that central character in a way that we can empathize or sympathize. So we just basically witness the movie more than we get involved in it to that regard. And, yeah. But it, it's interesting. There's a new Invisible Man coming out right away uh, mm-hmm. from Lee Winnell, so I'm curious to see where they go with that. Indeed. Number three, Frankenstein. I really like the creature design, and this was the first time that the climax of the movie, and maybe even the best climaxes of the, all the movies that we watched, like that huge burning... Uh, mm. castle yes. you know whatever the hell that thing is <laughs> uh, like it, it feels like something epic is taking place and that this is an important crazy you know story that needed to be told and that this was the best way they could tell it at the time and the Frankenstein story has been told many 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 times but I believe I said the similar thing about the Wolfman when someone says Frankenstein what image comes into your head this one it is still still this one 100% and so there we go um I, if I waffled at all, it was probably on three and two. But number two, I'm going for the Wolfman. <laughs> and again, we you know just talked about. It. I found we definitely had access to the character, yes. whether or not you thought he was an amazing actor or not. He was a warm, likable, sympathetic presence, and he did nothing to deserve what happened to him. So it's easy to empathize and get swept up in the narrative in right. that way. So uh, I had a good time with the Wolfman and. Uh, and again, I'm big points from them. Just like we're going to create something out of the ether here, and it, 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 it here it stays. It, right. It's outlived everybody who made it. Yep. Well done. Indeed. And number one, the creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm such a monster movie guy. Like I love a straight good creature feature where a cast gets slowly whittled down by an interesting monster. Mm-hmm. I'm always like talking about how much I love Tremors. It was just like a basic, silly, dumb monster movie, but. You know what? Sign me up for a silly dumb monster movie. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I don't want something to overthink it. I don't want to be traumatized by a hereditary on a regular basis, you know? I like a horror movie that can be thrilling and fun. Yes. And this movie was thrilling and fun. Creature from the Black Lagoon, number one, Gareth Nickel, the new rank and review oh. champion. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much for me. being here. Uh, you wear you. that proudly, Em. <laughs> oh, I intend to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can brag to your friends. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, I understood there was a check. <laughs> yes. Is there anything you want to say to the kids on the internet before we wrap this episode up? Um, d- only that they should watch these creature features. Yeah. They absolutely should. It's, an, it's a good history lesson, and more than that, they're a really fun watch from uh, front to back, and 
yeah, <laughs> give yourself this uh, little bit of background. So when you're talking about the new releases of these movies that are coming out, then uh, you have some something to draw from. The Mini Fridge Dinner Theater in Saskatoon. If Indeed. you like live theater and you're in the Saskatoon area, support our local actors, please. Absolutely. Yes, they're doing good work and they deserve to be seen as well. Correct. Mm. That is all. Thank you. For me, I just will never be able to repay. So, big love, G-Money, big love, and uh, welcome to your Rank and Review Championship reign here. So, I hope you continue listening to Rank and Review. We've got a Marvel episode coming up, and uh, that should be an interesting one. And hopefully soon, some more Cohen Brothers. So, keep listening. Keep sending that feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com, R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V. W at gmail.com and I drop every other Wednesday. 